Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning and uh, welcome to Friday's uh, show. This is uh, 9 to 12 with Ian Smith and we've got a uh, pretty busy, in fact, very busy show. Busier than I expected. It's uh, just all, all of a sudden appeared. Jeff Wilson, uh, just uh, after 9 o'clock, just after my sermon. Uh, he will be coming into us about uh, what's going to happen, uh, of course, over the weekend, what he thinks in terms of uh, the makeup of the All Blacks and uh, what kind of a performance he is expecting as well. Mark Bone, of course, uh, synonymous with New Zealand swimming. Uh, we'll talk to him about the state of swimming in New Zealand, uh, the Olympic campaign, and, of course, uh, the wonderful Sophie Pascoe and the swimming campaign in the Paralympics. Uh, after 10 o'clock, we're looking to speak to uh, retiring CEO and Secretary-General of the New Zealand Olympic Committee, uh, Kieran Smith, uh, who's decided to step down at this point. So we'd like to find out why and what's in store for her over the next few years. Um, uh, We might also speak to Steve Lancaster. Of course, he's the community rugby boss at NZR. Uh, What about the NPC, the Farah Palmer Cup, uh, grassroots rugby, club rugby, etc.? What is the immediate future for that, in his opinion? The panel will consist of James McConey, and Nathan Rari, good, two good buddies with uh, differing opinions, but uh, good fun all the same, so I'm looking forward to that. After 11 o'clock, Sir Graham Lowe on uh, Rugby League Matters, of course, uh, and Michael Guerin also, uh, he will be with us in terms of uh, the harness racing industry and, of course, uh, racing coming up over the weekend. So if we can fit it all in, we certainly shall try. It's 9.04. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, whilst it wasn't Sophie's night in the pool last night, if you were watching the coverage, you may have seen the performance two races earlier of a 16-year-old, Jian Yuan, in the 400 metres S6 category for women. This remarkable young lady from China was run over by a dump truck whilst playing on the road at the age of just three. Her injuries were so severe that both her right arm and her right leg were amputated. On her mother's encouragement, she started swimming at the age of eight. She found it strengthened her and she loved it. At 11, she started winning titles and breaking records. At 13, she won three gold medals at the Asian Para Games. At 14, she became a world champion. These are her first Paralympics. Her technique is astonishing. Her ability to swim gun barrel straight in her lane at pace defies belief. She broke the world record by just over five seconds. Unaided, she then left the pool, got into a wheelchair, put 
put her glasses on and began smiling to the world. To be honest, I was absolutely dumbfounded. I got a five or six minute lesson in life. The vision should be shown to many of our youth today, to those who are battling for motivation and maybe for purpose. In fact, the whole Paralympics are just that, a lesson in life. Yuan's story is but one. So parents, grab your kids, get control of the remote, and watch some of these events. It's on Duke, it's free. It could be some of the best and most valuable lockdown time you will spend this time around. I promise you, it puts an incurable slice and a problem with a three-part into real perspective. Thank you, Jean Yuan. Thank you all. Well, it's 9.06 uh, here on SENZ, and I've been waiting to get this bloke on the line for quite some time. The Breakfast Boys have owned him, uh, but not now. We've got him today. He's uh, All Black number 935, Black Cap uh, One Day International number 76, T20 player number 11. Yes, he played in the inaugural uh, T20 match way back in those days at Eden Park uh, in retro gear. Jeff Wilson, the Golden One. Goldie, good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. Yep, they're still trying to find the ball on that roof at Eden Park in that inaugural <laughs> T20 that Ricky Ponting had off me. It was a good shot. It was a good shot. Oh, you're unlucky. Uh, it, was, it was just, you know, it was lying in the He just got lucky. He just got lucky, mate. Don't worry about that. I'm pretty sure it was in his arc. I think it was in his arc, mate. <laughs> uh, to be fair, he's got a bigger arc than most. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, Jeff, great to speak to you this morning. Uh, uh, not quite the eve of uh, a Bledisloe Cup match, but it's... Uh, First of all, it's in a good times line, isn't it, for us? Six o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and afternoon rugby in, in Australia, I think, for the first time since Michael Brohl punched Frank, Frank Bunce. There you go. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, it's taken a while to get here, right? I mean, we've we finally yep. got some agreement, that, and we finally got on a plane, which we needed to do. We got some security. I'll tell you what, I can't wait for it now. And I'm so much intrigued, because when you leave as much experience at home that we've left, obviously, for... Impending um, babies that are due, then all of a sudden, and the circumstances, of course, around COVID. This is um, this is fascinating to 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 hear. Not only the All Black side, um, Ian Foster and Grant Fox and his team are going to put out there, but how they're going to perform. And and the last time they were in Perth, they got um, they got trounced. But I think there was a bit of perspective in that one. People forget that Scott Barrett was sent off pretty early in that game. Um, and mm. and uh, and look, they played fantastically well, the Wallabies, but. Reality was we were down to fourteen men, so this is this is a great uh, this is great given the fact there's been some ammunition flying from across the Tasman. Okay, so before we get on to uh, what you expect out of this team this afternoon, what we have learnt since the last time uh, the All Blacks played at Eden Park seems like forever ago. They have now locked into this coaching structure for um, you know the next few years until the end of the World Cup. Uh, your feelings on the fact that they've now got some surety about that? Well, that's the first thing they needed to get was some surety, some some security for the coaches, the fact that they can go about their business. Given they were going to embark on a 14-week tour um, that is going to be incredibly challenging, but that's they understand that that's the business that they're in. They know they have to adapt. And look, I know when you get on tour together, that can bring you closer. This is going to be a lot of each other for a long time. So I think the coaches not having to be concerned about um, other matters and other matters are what are we going to be doing at the start of 2022 means that they can get on with the things they're putting in place and their plans and but they've still got to perform they've still got to go out there and 
and, and do their job and play well. Um, find out some things about some other players, about themselves, and they've got to start building towards 2023. This is a huge, huge uh, end of year for you, must think. You know, I mean, rugby championship on the line. We've got test matches overseas, including playing against France uh, in, in Paris. I think this is, uh, this is huge for Ian Foster to actually... If he has a successful last three months in 2021, everyone will unanimously be behind him going forward. Right, let's uh, look at um, this afternoon's team naming. And, and, you know, when when you're coaching or playing in a team over a period of time, you are going to have to do without key players. You're going to have to do about without areas of leadership and find some. So what what are you expecting in the makeup this afternoon, particularly in, in areas, say, let's, let's start with halfback. Uh, who do you think they'll start at halfback? Well, this is... Um this is probably the hardest one. When I sat down and I started thinking about like who's there, who's available, um, where does everyone sit right now, and, and this will give us a real, true indication about how they are feeling about TJ Peronada and the impact he's going to have with the All Blacks going forward. Because former both Brad Weber and Finlay Christie has been very, very good. They have not let the All Black jersey down. They are way more similar to Aaron Smith than TJ Peronada. So. Which direction do they go? I, I would like to think that Brad Weber has done everything that's been asked of him, has been very, very good, and deserves the opportunity to play the way the All Blacks have wanted to play and play with tempo, play great support lines, he's as fit as anybody out there. Um, his pass is not quite as good as Aaron Smith's, but it's not too far behind. So for me, him getting that opportunity first um, in this test match, uh, and TJ coming off the bench, a role that knows incredibly well. That would be my my gut instinct in terms of them rewarding guys who have done the job in the jersey before. And TJ's only really just scratching the surface we're getting back to this level of rugby. Jeff, one of the interesting areas uh, also, which is uh, an area akin to your thoughts, I'm sure, is the back three. Now, uh, in terms of um, Five test matches I think we've played. I don't think we've had the same back three combination. I may well be wrong there, but I don't think so. Uh, when it comes to the likes of Jordan popping in, Geordie Barrett off the bench, uh, Damian McKenzie at fullback, what are you expecting there with the players they've got available to them uh, to choose this afternoon? What combo would you like to see? What I, what I would like to see, um, I think what we need to see is Geordie Barrett get another opportunity at fullback. Uh, he didn't probably play as well as he would have liked to against Fiji when he uh, he played there. He sort of just didn't have the soft touches that Damian McKenzie offers you, but allowing Damian to have his impact off the bench. Look, the Blinderslow Cup's in the bag. The Rugby Championship is important, but I look at it and go, you know what? Um, I think we just keep Sever Reese on one wing. Um now, look, I think he's playing outstanding rugby. He is well and truly um, at the top of his game. His defence is very, very good. Um, he's dangerous every time he gets the ball. Uh, he's unique to our back line. And on the other wing, it's sort of one of those, I think we need to keep developing Will Jordan. I think we need to keep giving him um, playing opportunities. Uh, look, he is a special player. Um, he's one, another one of those guys that's come into the All Blacks. He knows how to score tries. Conditioned well, he's right place, right time, um, and there's no substitute for out and out speed. I'm not saying he's our number one left winger. I really do think Rico Yuani um, has proven just in those short little uh, time we've seen there on the left wing, he's, he just looks great. You know, uh, he's, he's easily back uh, to his best there. But I'd like to see Jordan 
and Geordie get another opportunity because they're going to need to get some more test matches under their belt. Um, and with no, uh, with Bowden Barrett obviously going to play at 10, um, I think there's always a danger when you start with your backup first five at fullback. I think that's always an issue, and I always thought that with Bowden Barrett and Richie Mwonga playing together, just in terms of that shifting and having to reshuffle when you make some changes. So I like that impact on sort of like for like on the bench. So Geordie Barrett is the one for me, though, who's really, after being so, so good in Super Rugby Aotearoa, uh, he needs to find a big performance. He needs to find a, you know what, I'm a viable option. I can do some of those things that Damien McKenzie is doing the job for you right now. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's look at his brother then, who's been given carte blanche in the 10 he's, he's He's been acknowledged in, in this initial group anyway as the only number 10, although... Uh, if something happened, of course, you've got uh, the backup there of McKenzie. So Bowden getting uh, um, the reins, really, the, the chance to control things again. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts as, as much as my own in this regard, is, is that what, what the next five weeks is going to mean for Bowden Barrett. And whether or not you know you can expect him to play every game at 10, I think you can. Um, if, if Richie Mwanga doesn't end up being in Australia, and if, if he's able to do that, uh, Bowden, then our expectations are that we'll see him back at his very, very best. Um, look, I just don't think he's had the opportunity to date. Uh, he has now got the reins back in the team. He's going to have to um, have more leadership responsibility. That's been made quite clear for Ian Foster. Um, he's named that leadership group uh, with, with Brody Retallick and, of course, Captain Artie Savia. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see exactly how quickly he steps up and says it's mine again. As when does that happen? Mm. Does it happen from minute one? Because I don't think we can, I don't think we can underestimate this guy is, is one of the best and most talented footballers we've ever had. That's had huge, impactful performances for the All Blacks. There is, there has, from time to time, there has been, you know, I think uh, some frustration from him because, you know, he, he wants to be at first five. You can tell even when he's interviewed right now is the fact that he's he's okay. It's great. I'm, I'm back in the team jersey. I, I want to play here and prove that that's where I'm at my very, very best. So. Uh, I mean, what what impact do you think he's going to have? Does he change things for the All Blacks? Because I think in some ways he certainly does um, in, in the way that he plays the game. I think in a weird kind of a way, Jeff, he needs to find a base again. I, I know that's saying something. You think he's been around for such a long time and he's been World Rugby Player of the Year on a couple of occasions. And as you say, he's been an incredible match winner, game turner for, uh, for the All Blacks. But... You know, he's been at the Hurricanes, he's been at the Blues, he's been to Japan, he comes back to the All Blacks, he, he starts, he comes off the bench. It's, a, it's like you, you look at him and you think he's, he's like a new boy trying to find his way again. And, and I, I just think that this, this concerted little period in that jersey might just fix that problem. Yeah, that's interesting you say that, because it, it does seem to be there's a lot going on with him. There's a lot happening. Mm. Now, everything seems to be happening around him, and, and in some ways that's probably added some pressure to him. Here's a guy that understands pressure, though, um, and mm-hmm. he's certainly made some big decisions, and moving to Auckland is one of those, um, taking his time and going to Japan and, and, and taking his financial sabbatical over there. Look, you can't argue with that when, when certainly you know, you're wanting to support your family and look for a different experience. And you're right, sort of right now, what we'd like to think is that we're going to have Ben Barrett, and the Blues have got him next year, um, for this new Super Rugby Pacific, You'd like to see now for the next two years, his focus well and truly is going on and we're helping the All Blacks go and win a Rugby World Cup. Because what we have seen is that's what it takes. 
That's what it took for us to win in 2011. That's what it took in 2015. Needed to be, needed to be some key people, 100% um, obsessive and, and so passionate about it that they drive that culture and they drive um, that team towards their goal. And you know, I, I uh, we didn't quite we didn't quite get it all right at the last Rugby World Cup. I don't know if we were that far away, but you know, the next um, five weeks with South Africa on the horizon, this this is well and truly um, his his huge opportunity to change. I think is the narrative right now that Richie Moana is our first choice first five. What are you, uh, you know, Dave Rennie, what, what are you expecting now? And I think he's been gritting his teeth and, and you know, there's been some grumpiness and some of his uh, comments in between test matches. Um, I, I just wonder, I think he was probably a little bit uh, shocked by the fact that they were trounced by as much as they were a second time around. Uh, I, what are you expecting now with, with his troops in Perth? Bear, um, bearing in mind, as you said, uh, they have got that uh, memory of last year winning against the All Blacks. Um, I think he'll be starting to get um, a little bit frustrated uh, by the fact that they are, for periods of games, competitive. They can put pressure on the All Blacks. The question mark is whether or not they, in reality, can go out and beat the All Blacks at their own game. One of the few teams that has the right skill set. Um, they can bring a level of physicality, can bring a level of pressure. Um, uh, there are areas of their game which... They are certainly getting parity at, and they've got some some highly skilled and and they've got great leadership uh, in in terms of Michael Hooper. Like I couldn't be more impressed with what he's shown in a beaten team against the All Blacks. Um, this test match is probably about them more than the All Blacks. I mean, I think the All Blacks have got some momentum when they're playing with confidence. All of a sudden, you start thinking, well, you know, I, I see some consistency in the way they've built through the season. Wallabies are the team that are seriously under pressure. Um, so many expectations, doing a lot of talking right now um, uh, in terms of uh, what, what they think that their role should be in, in um, uh, the Pacific Rim and, and, and their game. But you have to back that up with performances. And last year they drew with Argentina twice, I think, uh, if memory um, serves me right, in the rugby championship. Mm. They certainly um, haven't, haven't made them out to be uh, you know anything more than that right now uh, because they've been well and truly... Um, by the All Blacks, and if we think about their performances against the France side, which wasn't their top team, they've been very good in the Six Nations. It was sort of a, a, a B plus side that went over there, and they only just scraped past them. So they've got massive, massive strides they need to make if they're going to be con- uh, competitive on a consistent basis. And particularly now they're at home, and their fans will expect um, them to step up, and they're coming up against the, an All Black team with confidence, a Springbok team which has just beaten the British and Irish Lions and have won two on the bounce against Argentina. And they're, um, they've got a tough, tough few weeks ahead of them and they need to step up. Jeff Wilson, as always, uh, a pleasure talking to you about um, a number of things we didn't even got on to. Uh, the Black Caps uh, in Bangladesh, that'll be for next time. Uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. It is uh, 9.21 here on SENZ. Uh, your Text would be appreciated. Uh, what have you noticed about, uh, have you got a story from the Paralympics? I mean, I'm just blown away by this uh, young lady I saw from China last night. But she's just one of hundreds, hundreds of examples there that were just um, mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. I, I, I'm, I'm bad in that I haven't taken as much notice as I damn well should have, and I, I hope some people out there have.
Uh, so, yeah, your thoughts about that? Your thoughts maybe on key all-black changes this afternoon? Uh, the team comes out. Uh, who would you have at halfback? That seems to be a major talking point. Who would you have at halfback? Just a, a simple one as that. Um, there's three options there, uh, but predominantly it's probably between um, Weber and Perinara, I would say. Weber and Perinara. Uh, give us your option, bearing in mind uh, what we've seen so far this season and TJ just coming back into the fold. So, yeah, double eight double three, oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Text from Anthony this morning before we get on to the rugby side of things. Uh, hi, Smithy JD. That is a very inspirational story. Talking about uh, one that I was talking about, that's amazing swimmer, this uh, 16 year old girl with uh, no right arm, no right leg, breaking world records. But her ability to swim gun barrel straight, which is, you know, uh, absolutely the balance that she's got and uh, the strength in that that she gets going through the water is, it really is something to behold. But as I also said, just one of a zillion great stories and coming out of the Paralympics. Thanks very much, Anthony. Uh, I also agree, yes, uh, that uh, some of our young New Zealanders should perhaps be made to sit down and look at some of this stuff and say, look, I'm able-bodied, but I just don't want to be doing anything. I don't want to get off the couch. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want that PlayStation ripped out of my hand uh, and leave my cell phone alone. I'm okay. I'll be right. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, it can be too late, I think. Out of the Paralympics, I... Somehow, I think we've got to harness some of these lessons. But however, I'm not a professor on the subject. Just a grisly old bugger. Uh, Weber to start, he's uh, more like Smith. Uh, that is one of the, the texts. And that's, uh, uh, I think, re-emphasising what uh, Jeff had to say, Jeff Wilson, just prior to that. He made that point as well. Um, Perinara off the bench with 20 to go. Uh, Gig has texted in and said, uh, how about Blackadder starting at number seven? And John Day nearly fell off his chair with that one. Uh, also... Uh, here's an interesting one, and this is the TJ perspective. I, I anticipate TJ will get the nod because of his experience with All Blacks and his combo experience with Bowden Barrett. That's key. Uh, he also needs game time if we are looking ahead to Argentina, uh, more specifically uh, South Africa as well, and he deserves a shot. And also, he's proven to be a very good leader. Uh, no name with that text, but it's a, a very good one, John. Um, I, I appreciate that, and I can see that, that that may well be a possibility. Brad Webber came off the bench in Game 1 uh, against Australia, and that bench was awful that night, um, and Australia ran over us towards the end of the game. Uh, he wasn't selected for the next one, so if they do that, I, I think uh, he'll have a point to prove. And also, Brad Webber, of course, is captain of the Chiefs and a very good leader in his own right. Yeah, exactly. You don't lose anything with leadership if TJ starts or Brad starts, but that is a superb text, and I think that's right. When we play South Africa, Smithy, do you need that extra size of TJ Perinata so they don't bully us around the ruck so you've got the bigger defending nine there for those games? But I think there's two games against Argentina before we play the Springboks, so maybe TJ doesn't need the game time for this one, but will definitely need some for Argentina. I'd just like to see Brad rewarded for re-signing as well uh, before they left and for the effort he's put in for the last five years. He's worked so hard to get this far, whereas TJ went overseas. Brad has stayed loyal and played fairly well, I think, apart from that one where they all came off the bench and played poorly. So personally, I'd like to see Brad, but I thought that was a very good text as well. Well, over the last uh, month and a bit, we've been treated to some uh, wonderful swimming 
uh, whether it be uh, in the Olympics or the Paralympics, uh, whether it's been from overseas or or locally, uh, there have been some sterling and standout performances. And uh, to talk about them now, I've got uh, Mark Bone with me. Uh, and Mark, of course, is synonymous with uh, New Zealand swimming and the coaching, etc. in particular. Uh, and casting his uh, eye over events, I'm sure, in the last uh, six weeks. So, Mark, thank you very much for, for your time this morning. Oh, my pleasure. It uh, must be wonderful in Hawke's Bay today, too. Weather must be stunning <laughs> down there, my old hometown. It is. It's blue sky, Mark. Yeah, blue sky. Just so, just a, a standard day in paradise, mate. I can tell you that. Hey, um, <laughs> I miss it. He, yeah, here's a, look, before we get on to uh, Sophie Diviner and perhaps the, the Paralympics side of it, uh, you've had a, a, a sorry, Sophie, Sophie Divine, Sophie Pascoe, sorry, um, uh, and and the Paralympics side of it. Uh, can I just um, can I just take you back to uh, the Olympics proper? We've now had time to reassess. Uh, and, you know, with um, some some fairly rational thoughts on the New Zealand performance overall, uh, how did you regard it? Look, uh, on the New Zealand performance, I think that you've got to look at it in the sense of it was a very small team, only five athletes. Uh, two of them, I, or three of them, I would suggest to you, performed extremely well. Lewis Clearbert, he's there or thereabouts in terms of getting a international. Uh, Olympic medal. What did he finish fourth? We were uh, extremely disappointed with that because I truly believed he was going to get a medal in the 400 medley. And I, I think that he will learn from that experience. He's only just turned 22, made two Olympic finals. And you've got to remember, this is a, a global sport, uh, you know, contested by all countries. Some of the sports out there, and I'm not wanting to bash other sports, there is not a mass participation by all the countries and swimming definitely is there so it's a tough sport uh, but I thought Lewis Clearbert was extremely good Erica Fairweather only young 17 year old uh, also made an Olympic final so that's fantastic and then we had others that did personal best so you know you, you can't ask for anything more than that it's not what we want because definitely a medal is what actually generates some funding for the sport or increased funding for the sport but I think they're on the right track I just wonder about the, the overall strength and the future. You mentioned uh, a, a bit of youth in, in that uh, quick summary there, though. But are you uh, content with um, the way our program looks? I mean, Paris is only three years away, let's, uh, let's not forget. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't think you can ever sit back on your laurels. Am I content? No, definitely not, because <clears throat> I don't see anybody else jumping out right now that's going to come into that team. There will be a couple of from the relay team that will have retired after those Olympics. And so, you know, we've got to look at it like that. But really, there is an investment now, and probably in Lewis Clearbert and Erica Fairweather, they're going to be carrying the flag. And I think potentially both of those could actually progress forward uh, into medal contention. Do we need more depth? Absolutely. Do we need more and better access to pools? 100%. And I know I've uh, been down to Hawke's Bay and looked at that incredible facility that's been built out of Frimley there, a 50-metre 10 lane. Boy, Hawke's Bay's going to be looking good for the future in terms of being able to provide you know, an aquatic environment, whether it be for swimming or water polo, whatever down there. But we need more facilities like that around the country. So, OK... I'll take it back even a step further then. Okay, you've got these, these facilities uh, perhaps in Hawke's Bay uh, and, and as you say, we, we need more around the country. Are kids swimming these days? I look at other sports, Mark, and, and it appears in some sports the numbers are dwindling somewhat. You know, and some of our traditionally stronger sports I'm talking about as well. 
Are the swimming numbers, in your belief, I mean, at the level in that that you're associated with, do you see numbers, uh, encouraging numbers in swimming still? You know, look, we built a brand new aquatic facility two and a half years ago. It's, it's a learn to swim facility. It was a huge investment. Obviously, COVID's been terrible for us, but it was all about learn to swim. Our learn to swim numbers are huge. And right around the country, learn to swim numbers are massive. And I think that's a reflection of every parent wants to make sure that their kids are safe in and around water. And that's, an, you know, an environment that we all want to have. The reality is, though, that we're not seeing the transfer from a learn to swim environment into competitive swimming. It's a tough, gruelling process, and we're just not getting the numbers. Clubs generally are on the decline uh, in terms of their total numbers that they've got out there. And, of course, there's so many other sports out there today. You know, and and even if you look at it in aquatics, I mean, you can go from... uh, into learn to swim, straight into water polo, straight into surf lifesaving, uh, all these other activities, triathlon, they're taking the best swimmers away from the program as well. Now, is that a negative? Probably not, because there's still people that are active out in the community, whether, whatever their sport is. But even if you look at Elisa Carrington, for goodness sakes, she came from originally a swimming background and a surf lifesaving background. So, you know, there is spin-offs in it, but in terms of raw competitive swimming, I don't see that the, the numbers are great. Okay, that's interesting. It really is. Uh, so therefore you need times like now when swimming's had some, um, some exposure, some profile uh, at both the Olympics and the Paralympics. You really need to, uh, if you're swimming New Zealand, etc., to, to cash in on these, these times somehow, don't you? Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, every sport wants to cash in on any of your top athletes, whoever they may be. And, and we've got to make sure that we do that. You know, I'd, I'd love to see a Lewis Clearbert being taken around the country and put into programs. Look, we had actually organised for him to come up to Auckland uh, in the middle of this month. Well, it's not going to happen uh, because we were going to do some big thing up here. You know, those are the initiatives that I would like to see happen uh, more often uh, than not you know, to carry through these great uh, athletes that we have and to just put them down into the grassroots. Look, I'm not involved in competitive swimming anymore. My, my background uh, was that, and I'm now just into the uh, learn to swim. And, you know, we've, we're just inundated with our numbers, albeit that we're in lockdown. But Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are exceptional circumstances. But I, I still think, you know, and you probably agree that you've still got a plan for, for these times to, to get better. I, I mentioned role models. Uh, look, Sophie Pascoe just has blown me away. I mean, I knew she was fantastic, um, but every now and then uh, you have an event like this, she gets some more exposure, and you just see how incredibly good she was. It didn't finish the way she wanted last night, but her her performance uh, under duress at times, it seems too, Mark, has been quite amazing. Look, she is a, a really, really special person. I've got to declare my hand. Uh, my sister is an emergency consultant in Christchurch, and when Sophie had her accident all those years ago, uh, my sister looked after Sophie, and I've always been very close to her as my sister is, as my mother was. Uh, and, and so as a family, we've had a big association with Sophie. Sophie came up to Auckland and when we opened our new facility at Swintastic and was part of our opening ceremony. And that's just the nature of the person, of, of how willing she is to share her own skill sets and her ability to actually go down to the grassroots and talk to all of these people that were around at the opening ceremony. But she is a very, very special person. She wears her heart on her sleeve. There's no two ways about that. 
family to her is extremely important and I think that that's been a major thing in these Paralympics that she just hasn't had that family network. They've always travelled the world with Sophie uh, to every international event that she's been at and she just hasn't had that, as, as all of the athletes haven't had that uh, family environment. But that, to Sophie, that's really important. But gee, uh, you know, look, on her own admission, she hasn't done the work. She's found it really hard. And I think when you look at a senior athlete, she's 28, when with all the COVID stuff and lack of international competition, everything was pushed back one year, will it even happen? And, and particularly with the Paralympics, Will that happen because of they're almost more vulnerable because of COVID? I think at the back of their mind, there was a huge amount of negativity about it. And any athlete, when they're at the sort of the, the very the end of their career, when things are pushed around a little bit, I think that they, they don't deal with it as well as a young, aspiring, you know, young kid out there that's just jumping out of, the, out of their, their skin to get onto a plane. And I think it, it really has weighed up on Sophie. And the reality is she's way off her pace of her best times. But boy, did she still compete. Mm. That, that was, the, the, I think, the takeaway from me as well is that she was far from at her best, but she still had this amazing attitude of, uh, come get me if you can. I'm Sophie Pascoe. And on, on this occasion, uh, two or three swimmers were able to do that. Um, but... Um, look, uh, early days, she's 28 years of age. She's already said she will not swim the 200 medley anymore. Would you, uh, three years away or so, would you back her to, I mean, she could do anything in life, I would imagine, in terms of being a consultant, uh, being an ambassador. Um, people will just want to be knocking down the door for Sophie Pascoe in the future. What do you, what do you, think, what do you think she would do? Yeah, look, I, I would certainly question whether or not she will continue. I think that in the back of her own mind, I mean, she's engaged now. She's got a lovely fiancé. I think in her own the back of her own mind, there is, do I commit myself? You know, possibly it's only three more years, but it's a huge, huge grind. You know, you're looking down at the pool. And Sophie's really, uh, I think, expanded her horizon in the last few years. And I think you're dead right. She could be anything she wants to be. She could be an incredible ambassador for lots of different causes, let alone, you know, the IOC uh, in terms of her own representation, whether it be an IOC para or IOC norm uh, able-bodied athlete. So I think, you know, the world is her oyster. What she will do with it is going to be one big contemplation. On her own admission, she's saying, there's a lot of young swimmers around here right now, and she's been really impressed how they've caught up to her. But I technically, I still think she's the best swimmer out there when I look at her. Uh, she just didn't put her races to get, some of her races together. But, you know, you've still got to look at a career. It's 19 para uh, medals. 11 of those, 11 of the 19 are gold. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it is. I mean, for me, um, Mark, it's it's Phelps like, isn't it? It's Phelps like, and it's uh, I, I don't know if you can equate it to uh, across the board to other athletes, uh, but certainly it's in the upper echelon. Mark Bone, uh, as always, uh, love hearing your thoughts on swimming um, and you know where we're headed because uh, that's the next step. The, the next goal is is not that far away. Thanks for your time this morning. I'll look after that Hawks Bay Sun for you. <laughs> Good man. Cheers, Mark Bone. There, uh, look, we've got. Um, Time for some uh, more of your texts. Uh, 8833 8833. It is 8833. 
uh, phone call if you want to. Uh, we've had a couple uh, of extra ones coming about TJ and the halfback role uh, and uh, an interesting one about Ricky Stewart as well. So we'll get stuck into those very shortly. And then, of course, before uh, 10 o'clock, uh, it's multi-time. I uh, tend, tend to go better at the weekends. Let's uh, hope I do because this week stinks. Voice of Sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.50, and uh, last night was uh, the last performance of uh, Sophie Pascoe. In terms of these Paralympics, will it be her last Paralympics? We don't know, but uh, she had a, a slight reflection on that last performance. Um, I left it all out there, and um, I don't know whether I can reflect on it right now. There's <laughs> just a lot running through my mind, and it's been a big week, it's been a big year. I mean, obviously, it's not the way I wanted to finish, um, but I am pretty proud of myself for getting here to start with. With the year that's been and, and the lead-up coming into this game, it's been very challenging. So to be able to come away with the two golds, a silver and a bronze, is um, right now it doesn't feel like it, but it is a massive achievement. Yeah, quite incredible, quite incredible. And every time you... You hear an interview or see an interview with uh, Sophie that you, you can absolutely tell how the performance has gone uh, in the water just prior. Um, and uh, what we can remember over the years is a truckload of very happy interviews. Not so much this time around, but very, very happy interviews and uh, exceptional, absolutely exceptional. And uh, yeah, wherever she goes in life in the future, she will be a winner. You just know that. Right. Uh, speaking of. Uh, text uh, double eight double three. They've uh, been coming in on this halfback issue. Weber to start and Christie off the bench. TJ is at least a year past his use by date. Uh, that's from Richard. Uh, I shouldn't admit giving my pick, but uh, I've been Brad's ten at club rugby. He's a very good halfback. That's from Jesse. Well, you'd know more than most. Um, morning, Smithy. I think they should start uh, TJ. He is like an extra Lucy, especially against their their halfback. As he nips around the side, he can nail the bugger. Enjoy. Uh, can't wait. Cheers. Have a great weekend. Dave from Karaka, a regular texter. Thanks, Dave. Have a great weekend yourself. Uh, Smithy, it amazes me that Sky Sports rugby pundits, in particular um, Jeff and Mills, uh, never seem to acknowledge the wider issues Australia goes through, Australian rugby goes through when it comes to keeping talent, uh, leaving to uh, Aussie rules and league and, and schoolboy level. Uh, they tend to be dragged from all different areas and they get almost third pick. The fact that Rennie has them as competitive as they are right now is not bad going. Uh, that is Mick. Um, and he, here's an interesting one, uh, watching the Rugby League last night. For me, the morning belongs to Ricky Stewart, says Bernie. You've got to love a coach who prays that his team will not reach the playoffs because they're not worth any more and waste of time for him <laughs> or anybody else. They got whopped last night by the Roosters. Uh, incidentally, that, that was part of uh, yesterday's multi. Uh, that was the good part of the multi. Uh, back to reflect on the bad parts and this weekend's one very shortly. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, Roosters to beat the Raiders, yep, that was okay at a buck seventy. Schwartzman to beat Anderson, that happened at a dollar forty six. 
and then blow me down. South Africa went and lost to Sri Lanka in one day international cricket. Sri Lanka scoring 300 batting first, uh, and South Africa unable to chase it down, missing out by a small margin. So, unfortunately, that one went west. Uh, let's look at uh, today in the weekend's option. In fact, uh, we've gone a little bit diverse here. Uh, Las Vegas Aces to beat the Chicago Sky. That's women's NBA basketball action uh, later today, $1.57 there. Uh, the Broncos, I think, will upset the Knights, and uh, that's the value bet of the weekend, $2.10. Uh, the Leeds Rhinos, staying on the subject of rugby league, the Leeds Rhinos to beat Hull at a buck thirty-eight, And in French, top 14 rugby, Breve to beat Perpignan. Breve to beat Perpignan at $1.31. Multied up, that comes to $5.96. Good luck with that all round if you're uh, continuing to follow me. Um, it might not have much sense at the moment, to be fair. It certainly won't have a lot of dollars. Uh, look, uh, we've got a panel coming up uh, at around about uh, 20 past 10. Uh, Nathan Rari and James McConey, that, that'll be fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, great mates, very opinionated. It'll be good fun. And uh, just after the news here at 10 o'clock, uh, really uh, looking forward to talking to Kieran Smith, uh, who has decided to step down from her role as the CEO and the Secretary-General of NZOC, the New Zealand Olympic Committee. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Ian three here on SENZ, and uh, right now it's uh, my honour, actually my privilege, to uh, introduce uh, one of the most inspirational ladies in New Zealand sport, to be fair, particularly if you look at the administration of it, because after a decade in charge of the New Zealand Olympic Committee, Kieran Smith has decided to step down from uh, those roles. It's been an incredibly successful tenure in the job, across three Olympic Games, two Winter Olympics, two Commonwealth Games. Uh, Kieran, uh, I guess the the big question first of all is why now? <laughs> well, Marina, and um, nice to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's such a fabulous job. You could sort of stay in it for life, to be honest. But um, but it's a really it's a milestone time, really, um, finishing up such a big campaign as Tokyo, and it is relentless because we're now moving on to Winter Olympics in a few months in uh, Beijing. Games in less than 12 months, and then two years to the Paris Olympic Games. But if it's not now. It's you know it's a long time into the future, and I think it's it's time for me <clears throat> to to step aside. And I think it's great for the organisation to to you know have new leadership coming in as well. Kieran, uh, you know I've seen you quite a bit on television prior to the Olympic Games taking part uh, taking part this time round. Defending decisions, defending the decision, uh, of course, to actually go in the first place because everyone was scared of uh, the ramifications of COVID, of course. Uh, you were right behind the whole thing, backing your team, etc., and the process there. Uh, the Laurel Hubbard issue, of course, you, you had to deal with that too. So um, this has been quite a unique Games uh, in terms uh, of, of a couple of those types of issues, but you must be so pleased that you stood firm on those because the outcome has been amazing. Yeah, I think um, I am really proud and I'm really satisfied and, and, and just feel very fortunate that you know, behind behind the scenes and um, you know in our in our own space, the New Zealand Olympic Committee board and, and staff, we were very resolute about you know, in, a, in a I guess a, a quiet confidence that we had in our plans and preparation and 
And, you know, people in a negative environment, if, if you're kind of standing up for athletes and advocating and, and championing and supporting them, we all know the Olympic Games is once in a lifetime for them. And the athletes were determined to go and the sports were committed. And from our point of view, it was really a matter of getting the right people and the right support and huge planning to, to allow those people to achieve their dreams. And um, so I think, yes, it does, did take a lot of support, a lot of determination. Um, really unified New Zealand sport at a time when you often feel like we're just one family. I think what it showed is we all came together, you know, 20-something different codes, worked really, really hard be clear the purpose. So yeah, and and they're complicated issues these days in sport, aren't they? And you know, the transgender conversation and being at the forefront of that for world sport is not always a comfortable place to be. Um, but the world is moving as we know and um, and I feel proud of how we as an organisation and the New Zealand team under Rob Waddell's leadership have um, navigated those tricky issues. Kieran, uh, we look at the uh, Olympic Games, I suppose, uh, you know, if, if from our perspective, sitting on the couch at home or, you know, the man in the street looks at it and says, uh, they were good because we got medals, uh, you know, we got X amount of golds, we, we got more than we did last time. Is that how New Zealand uh, an Olympic Committee views it, uh, success in medals? Or what is the, uh, do you have another, uh, another type of gauge there for, for the way you, you value yeah, the success? have a lot of lot of gauges I mean what what really um, I mean certainly public expectation is that we perform and make New Zealanders proud you know that, that's what the people expect of New Zealand and 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 we understand and respect that what also really matters to us is that the athletes feel proud of being the team of representing New Zealand of supporting each other the culture and I think over the years we've seen that now New Zealand teams really develop and evolve and it's quite a tricky thing to achieve when you bring together 21 different sports codes. Some of them have their own team culture, you know, like the women's sevens and, and the like. They have a really strong team culture but they're moulding that into how does that look for a, a New Zealand team, a multi-sport team. I think that's the power and the opportunity. So we're really mindful that our athletes feel valued and supported and proud to represent their country. So that's really important to us. And the other thing um, that is really important is that leadership of the team are valued and the leadership of the organisation is respected. And we do measure that in terms of how New Zealanders feel about it, but also how international folks see us. Um, because when you're on the world stage, we are ambassadors for New Zealand, and that, that's a really important consideration as well. Karen, one of the uh, big things on your agenda personally um, has been um, the increased uh, involvement of women in decision making in sport at the high levels and participation of course um, and also um, the fact that we've got to be far more aware of uh, the cultures that we possess in New Zealand as opposed to how we use them in sport as well. Uh, are you happy with the way those areas are, are tracking at the moment? I mean, they're big societal changes, I think, and um, all we can ever do in our organisations, respectively, is, I guess, champion the right messages and walk the talk. Um, and I think over the last few years, the New Zealand Olympic Committee um, has been able to do that. I mean, the board under Mike Stanley's um, leadership has been incredibly progressive, <coughs> excuse me, focused on inclusivity, never compromising performance. Um, so I, I do think we've made strides in that area. 
to New Zealand generally and in New Zealand sport generally. And we have a way to go. And I think part of that way to go will see our cultures, <coughs> our culture and sport become a bit more people focused. And it's a very, very fine balance, isn't it? And, you know, a lot of discussion now around athlete welfare and, and the environments we're creating in high performance. And, and I think it's just a matter of getting the balance between performance and people um, right. And, and I think that as as an organisation and something I'm passionately proud, you know, proud of, and we continue, will continue to do, is to work in, in, a, in a more equitable, inclusive, um, diverse um, you know, teams in New Zealand sport. That, that is a, an, a really interesting point you bring up, and never better emphasised. And it, I, I suppose it, uh, it was it was more highlighted by the fact that it happened at, at uh, Olympic time, and that, of course, was the passing, the tragic passing, of uh, Olivia Podmore. Uh, and I, I guess that brought to the fore uh, those areas you, that you just touched on there. Um, how much, how much, I think more work has to be done. I, th I think is the best way to describe it in those areas. Who has to take responsibility? I mean, overall, you, you're seen as the governing body, and in terms of Olympic sports, but how much pressure has to still go on the individual sports uh, in this area? I think we all, you know, all of us involved in sport with athletes have a, a duty of care to ensure that that we do take care of the person, not not just the product. And and these issues are being um, debated and considered not only in New Zealand right now, but around the world. And I, you know, sitting with some of my colleagues in Tokyo, you know, you, you think about the Simone Biles and you know situation. Think about so many stories today, where. You know, the, the issue of well-being is a societal conversation. is no different. And high-performance life in any endeavour is, is very testing. We have to be mindful that it's the culture and the nature of our world. And COVID has just made this very, very much harder. You know, the ability to travel and train and compete and do what we usually do and to attend qualification events these things overlay an already restful environment. Um, it is high performance. And so we just need to think about and act on how we bring through a different, adjust our culture. In my, my view and my experience with the Olympic Committee is that what helps and drives that is having athletes engaged and empowered in the organisation. We're very fortunate to have an Athletes Commission in the NDAC, which is led by Sarah Cowley-Ross and a group of outstanding young New Zealanders. And they've been through the system and they have been to Olympics or Commonwealth Games and they advise the board, they sit on the boards, they're on our committees, they're involved in the teams, are the guardians of the culture of New Zealand sport. In my view, it's very much about how do we bring athletes experience into our fold and into decision making roles and work alongside and in governance to help shape the culture that they feel they want to be part of as a performance performance athlete but also as a person and to come out the other side and feel you know, that they want to contribute to our sport, they want to lead, they want to be mums and dads of kids who play sport. They want to be our future umpires. All of those things will serve us incredibly well for for the future. I think. 
Kieran, uh, on a more slightly more happy note, positive note, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. In your time uh, in, as the boss, uh, has there been one Olympic performance, one performer, it doesn't necessarily have to be a medal winner, one performer that's really grabbed you and said, yeah, that's why I do this job, that's what it's all about? Well, there's been a truckload, to be honest. It's a very privileged, privileged role that you do get you know, up close and personal with a lot of um, special moments in New Zealand sport. But I have to say that that 35 minutes in Tokyo where we saw um, Emma Twig and all that Emma's been through, you know, so much of a backstory to that gold medal, and then our two eights charging down that um, wood away and having medals around their necks. I mean, that was just a stunning, you know, stunning period of time for New Zealand sport, and not just about rowing. It's just about who we are and what we stand for. And being in the stands with people from all around the world they were just looking at New Zealand thinking, what are you guys doing? And I, I reflect that so often we do focus on the negative elements of sport and I think we should sometimes just step back and say, New Zealand sport has just had its most successful Olympic Games, not only in medals but in depth and in you know, young athletes coming through doing exceptionally well, males, females, teams, individuals, in a great Paralympics. Our cricketers are world champions. Our netballers are world champions. Our rugby team teams are always all about. No, that isn't bad. And we need to sometimes just give ourselves some opportunity to celebrate and recognise. And I'm, I'm really optimistic about the future of New Zealand sport and I'm just privileged to have been part of it. That was just one little moment in, in Tokyo. Yeah. But overall, I'd say... Actually, the Tokyo Olympic Games reflection are probably my highlights. Kieran, it's normally four-year cycles for these things, but of course it's, this is a three-year gap between now and uh, Paris, of course. So uh, I, I know it's a long process preparing, etc. So uh, whoever takes over from you, I guess, um, have to get into gear very, very quickly this time around. Yeah, I mean, no, the, the, the postponement of the Tokyo Games has, has been, you know, has really concertina things for for our staff and for sport. I mean, I'm just a little part of a really effective and high-performing team at the New Zealand Olympic Committee. So our staff that kind of work behind the scenes and do the heavy lifting, they're, they're well focused on, um, you know, on what, what we need to be doing for Paris. I mean, normally, you know, planning phase for games is about five to seven years. You know, that's shortened and that brings with it challenges around... Um, not only planning and preparing the team, but all the fundraising and all those other things that go on behind behind the scenes. It's an exciting time. I mean, the most, for me, into the future, the single most exciting thing that happened and kind of got lost a bit around Tokyo was the announcement of Brisbane, host of the Olympic Games in 2032. And that combination with the Paris Olympics, LA Olympics and a home Olympics, is a stunning runway for summer Olympic sport. Some kids in New Zealand that are 10 years old can realistically start to think, hey, what an amazing pathway to drive my Olympic dream, whether as an athlete or as a coach or as an umpire. Or, you know, so the opportunities are here are really exciting. But 
there's a lot to be done, but you know, it's a really good time for somebody to come in and, and be part of that runway and shaping of the opportunities for athletes as well. Karen, just finally, I mean, you've had this great legacy even prior to the Olympics of your involvement in, in top-level sport, et cetera, um, in all various forms. So I just wonder, have you got anything in mind? Um, will we see Karen Smith with another role very quickly, or are you could just take a bit of time out and assess things? Well, you won't see Smith another role very quickly. Um, committed to work through a transition to to a new CEO, and that's probably likely to be you know early 2022. So, plenty of focus on on um, what's what's immediately ahead. But then, beyond that, um, you know, I mean, I'm hugely passionate about. New Zealand sport and our leadership and how we perform and engage with the world of sport. Um, so, you know, really looking to pursue some opportunities and things that I feel passionate about in leadership space. So, um, no, looking forward to creating a new chapter. Hey, look, uh, congratulations on what you've achieved. Uh, it's been fantastic. Um, you know, and uh, because, of, um, <clears throat> because of your good work and determination, of course, we get the benefit of it. Uh, watching the Olympic Games. Kieran, thanks so much for your time this morning um, and uh, your legacy will live on, I'm sure. And good luck with your next endeavour. Uh, I'm sure will be ultra successful as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ian. All the best. Thank you. Uh, that was Kieran Smith, uh, folks. What a terrific lady and uh, what a job she's done in the last uh, decade there. But uh, if you look at her resume, uh, man, it stretches a long way before that too. And uh, obviously... She's still got the hunger, so uh, someone will be the beneficiary of that down the track, there's no doubt about it. 10.19 here on SENZ, uh, and it's uh, time for the panel after the break. Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, yesterday at this time we had an amazing rivalry between the Christ College and Christchurch Boys High School. And today this rivalry just continues, it's so strong because out of Hamilton Boys High School we have one James McConey uh, and out of Hastings Boys High School Nathan Rarity and uh, of course that's Akina Akina and I will start with you Nathan Rarity because uh, you went to Hastings and I'll show some, uh, some absolute uh, parochialness there. Uh, this is always one of our favourite times of, of, of the week is when we get to pick our all black teams. Uh, well, have you looked at the, the pack, Nathan, for this afternoon's naming? I have. Here's, here's what I've got. Okay. So I'm going with, I, I like starting with George Barrett, Lucy, because I think to myself, if you're trying to plan long term, he needs miles under his belt, eh? And I, and I also think, too, that Taniela Tupo is the wild card in this. And since the Wallabies started bringing him off the bench in the second half, like, He's got such a huge power advantage over pretty much everyone, it looks like. I, I quite like the idea of keeping Carl Tuinifuasi, you know, just keep keeping him in the shed for when you need him to send him out on the field against Tupo. I'll go with Patrick Tuipalutu to play at that lock position instead of Sam Whitelock because I like the bulk and I think even always forgets Patty. And I don't know if I want to risk um, a Scott Barrett yellow card that early in a match in Perth because he likes those. And I'm going to switch around. I'm going to say Artie plays open side because that's his best position, I think. I think Akira has surprised everyone and is sensational at six, so I'm keeping him there. And I'm going with concrete shoulders Luke Jacobson off the back of the scrum. There you are. I prepped for you. How's that? That is, that is amazing, <laughs> Fred. That's, uh, what about you, McConey? Are you as well prepared for this particular segment? <laughs> Oh, I've got Gary Knight, John Ashworth, and Andy Dalton, so I'm a little bit behind on uh, oh. on the prep. 
yeah. But no, look, I. Well, it's just hanging for Kai, is it? <laughs> this is this is one of those ones where you have to um, you do have to factor in the Tong and Thor fact. I totally agree with Nathan. And um, look, it's an interesting one off the bench. Maybe when you look at the props, because yeah, Carl Tuanukiafi comes in to to uh, combat the Tong and Thor, and then maybe you, you have a an Angus Tatavau as as your sort of ball player um, for a day game. I think because of the day game, Akira Yuani. Is a, is a no-brainer. You just let him roam in those wide channels. And look, Artie is captain, so he he should be able to at least say, I want to play seven or eight. And if he does play eight, well, we know that um, Dalton Papaliti is making huge strides, so you're not losing much there. Um, and my locks would be uh, uh, White Lock and um, and Brody. Is, is that captain, vice-captain, just linking arms and sort of like talking tactics? I love the idea of that. Which white lock? You <laughs> oh, no, sorry, sorry, no. Pa- Patrick to to Pelota and uh, and and uh, oh, actually, no. Wait a second. We've got Scott Barrett, haven't we? So Sam White locks at home, yeah. and that means you've got Paddy Toops and uh, and then Brody uh, Brody Retallick. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. You've got them. Yep. No, yeah. I think big Nathan's going dude. for them as well. So you agreed? Yeah. Yeah. Big name dude. Yeah. Well, and then the other right, thing. Okay. Is, look. Scott Barrett's there as well if you if you if you need. You could just do, do the you know, Barrett family, the Iwani family, and just let ten people fight it out after that. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, if right. Scott Barrett somehow you can have Scott Barrett for around about fifty three minutes or maybe a bit longer, that'll make up for eighty minutes over two games there. That would be fantastic. But uh, moving on yeah. moving on to uh, James McConey, moving on to Josh Iwani at the Chiefs. Now, uh, is this the last chance saloon for Josh Iwani? Is uh, he was I perceived as being a, a bad boy. Is, is going to Hamilton going to fix that, is it? Well, there are plenty of saloons for him to um, enjoy in Hamilton um, at that um, mm. south end of town there. There's also the fact that the parties will improve uh, in the Tron with Josh Iwani there. But I'm of the school of thought that, like, Il Curtin once said, show me the first five at 26 and I'll show you the man. And I think, well, he's 26. This is his chance. And even though... He might be um, he, he might be moved around because he's such a good utility. I'm 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 happy with the move. We're, lo- we're losing Damian McKenzie, so we needed someone who can who can do that. And plus, he makes line breaks, which are the most rarest quality now in rugby with all the organised defences. He actually breaks the line. Nathan, I um well first I thought he was going to Moana Pacifica and the whole idea why I thought that was when the poster came out the other day to announce the new Super Rugby competition, there was Josh Uwani wearing the Moana Pacifica outfit. So that's why I thought he was going there. So maybe someone needs to tell someone in the Photoshop department uh, that they've made a mistake. I was actually more surprised maybe with the follow-up that the Highlanders did. So I thought to myself, you know, because they signed Marty Banks and I thought, yeah, I mean, he's won a title with them obviously in that, but... I would have thought, and you'd know this, maybe being a, a, a life member of Tamatia Rugby Club, what about Lincoln McClutchy? What does the guy need to mm. do to get, a, to get a super rugby gig? I mean, I think he played incredibly well, and I thought if there was any team to put him into, why not pair him up with the kid that he went through high school with, and they were absolutely electric together. So why not go with him and Falal Fakatava um, in your halves? So I don't get why no one picks Lincoln up. He's a sensational player. Um, and, yeah, that was really where I was with that one. I mean, the other part was I thought with the Chiefs, what, what about Tian Falcon? But then I remember he's actually gone up so full-time in Japan, hasn't he? So best of luck to, to Joshuani. But I, I, I did think to myself, 
when you've got a chance here to look to the future, why not pick up um, this, you know, one of these other young first fives running around, particularly if their name's Lincoln McClutchy? Okay, good thoughts there, uh, Nathan Rarity, and uh, of course we've got James McConey with us. Going to have a short break for the news. When we come back, I think uh, both of you deserve the opportunity to reflect on uh, the wonderful Sophie Pascoe and perhaps uh, the Paralympics as a spectacle. Uh, that's shortly, but in the meantime, here's Trudy. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 10.33 here on SENZ. Uh, we're smack bang in the middle of a very interesting panel with uh, James McConey and Nathan Arari. And we're going to focus now, Nathan, if we could, please, on on Sophie Pascoe. I, I'm running out of expletives, but I'm not sick of saying them. Uh, just outstanding. And, in fact, the whole Paralympics thing to me has been quite mind-blowing. Oh, yeah, it always is, eh? To, to do, I can't do any of that stuff. And I have all my limbs, you know, and everything. And they're, they're just incredible when you watch them. I think the wheelchair rugby really captured everyone too. Um, and it's been quite nice actually to see them back there as well. Like that whole smashing of the sleds makes a beautiful sound with it. But yeah, I mean, like Sophie last night with that butterfly swim, that's the most energy sapping out of all of the strokes. So if she'd basically swum herself into fainting, um, you know, the night before there in the medley. No, no wonder she didn't make it, you know, c- couldn't quite pull it off in the end there. If she had of, um, she might have been, you know, there might have been calls to go, hang on, how are you doing this? But it's just effort that's got her through and in there as well and determination too. And what a, what an amazing achievement for her. I remember when she first came along and I think the whole nation saw her and didn't we all vote to give her a Toyota the first time we saw her? We thought she was fantastic. So, Pretty cool to see that she carried on um, doing that and, and just cutting an absolute sway. But it sounded like that thing she said the other night about you've just watched me do my final medley uh, along the way. So maybe this is the last one. So if she does bow out, she gets to be the incredible, incredible figure of the Paralympics for us for a long time. James, I've seen a couple of uh, postings from you on social media about this lady. You, uh, like most of us, you're massively impressed with her. Um, uh, what what do you think her legacy would be if if this is it? Oh, I think she she goes down as our Michael Phelps, you know, like the the the, the person who can just win um, and just keep on coming back and and improving on. I mean, she's lost track of the world record she's broken. Uh, that's how that's how good she is. And yeah. to be to be honest, Maybe. I think like as a role model, she's she's just been. Um, incredible and, and raising the profile of her sport. And she's done it from the age of 15. She was 15 in uh, Beijing in 2008. So, look, I, this props to her, incredible athlete. And I've really loved the Paralympic Games. And um, if I can recommend one sport, uh, just that's reaching the uh, the culmination soon, is uh, the wheelchair tennis is getting unbelievable. And there's a guy, Shingo Kunyeda from Japan, who you need to see in the final if you get a chance. Well, I can't, still couldn't get over the guy that plays table tennis without any arms at all. I mean, oh, that is just, yes. that's, oh yeah, that's, that's that, oh, that is crazy. Uh, here's here's an interesting one. Just getting uh, changing tack uh, uh, quite a lot. Uh, kids now apparently are going to be if they're going to play football or soccer, as we call it, uh, over here, uh, discouraged from hitting the ball anymore. James, what what's your take on that? I mean. You'd have, you'd have knocked a few in off the old, off the old, you know, forehead, wouldn't you, over the years? Well, yeah, over the post uh, and, and over the bar, basically. Uh, I've always had a bit of a biscuit tin head, um, Smithy, but I've loved my soccer football since a young age. And even as a youngster, I remember thinking, 
hitting the ball was absolute madness. Yes, the balls were a bit heavier back then. It was a heavy ball, but even your, your nine or ten year old brain is saying this is kind of a bad idea, isn't it? Because you're just sort of dreading it sometimes. So um, I, I think it's not a bad. It's it's a good call. They're obviously making strides in other nations, including the United States and parts of Europe, to say let's limit the heading of the ball. And then if you're really serious about your, your football and you and you grow up and you want to um, and you want to be a pro, then head away because it's your choice and you're getting paid. Um, 30 million bucks playing for Barcelona or Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, well, Ronaldo, of course, going back to Manchester United, which is uh, in itself, Nathan, a, yes. a big story, a, a returning of the yeah. great one there and dedicating his, his return and the reason for his return to Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, of course, his inspirational coach all those years ago. Soccer kids without hitting a, a soccer ball. I mean, uh, when, when we were learning what? it, his kids, uh, you'd stand there and the coach would underarm the ball and you'd have to jump right up and see if you could hit it back to his hands. Yeah, fantastic. But it was basically a medicine ball, wasn't it? That was pretty much what it felt yeah. like. The <laughs> Rangers and getting yeah. those thrown at me. Bulk, oh! I'm not thinking, though, really. I mean, what if all you've got is, is your tool, you know? Um, because this is the, this is a, a thing that the people who are athletes go, oh, I can't believe they've taken that away from me. You've got to be really bloody coordinated to do that. What if you just happen to be tall and you're not that fast at running, right? So they go, oh, well, you'll be a centre-back, you know, because at least you're tall and the ball might bounce off your head. Like, that's that's pretty much what you've got. Like, you hope for a wayward cross so it just ricochets off the top of your head. Um, or you do that thing where you try and direct the header and you turn your head too soon and it just smacks you in the air, you know? So those are the kids that I'm feeling sorry for in this one, you know, because you've, you've taken away all they've got. Now they're just a tall kid. <laughs> <laughs> What 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 about what about the tall kids having to learn the scissor kick then, and so they can the reverse scissor <laughs> kick uh, instead of heading the ball when it comes across from the corner. The only way you can get it out to get elevation is the scissor kick. Yeah, but it's elegant oh, with think... the long legs, isn't it? That's a, a good look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's can, uh, turn maybe now. From let's, corners, maybe maybe from corners you'd be allowed to have a little header. Yeah. It's like okay, this yeah. is a corner. You can hit the ball, it's fine, but we're just not hitting it from a 50-metre clearance from a goalie, which is just coming down at a rate of knots. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking to myself that, you know, you're allowed to, once you leave school, you're allowed to hit the ball. So all of a sudden, you've got to line up again and start to learn how to hit the ball. So <laughs> I, 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 don't, I can't see it coming out of, I can't see it coming out of um, anything like uh, senior football, but uh, certainly, um, no. I also thought they'd always keep the score at uh, kids' sport, and they don't do that anymore, so... Uh, Nathan, here's the thing. I thought of you during the week. Uh, first of all, because uh, you've got those terrible, terrible uh, floods out there in West Auckland. And I thought to myself, I wonder how you're coping with them. And then I saw a story. I saw a story about a horse in someone's hallway inside their house. And I knew that must have been you. Tell me that was you in the Rariri household. You had the horse inside the, inside the house. Well, we actually, that wasn't our house, but I certainly know whose house it was. It's known as the Green Barn, that one, that had to carry three of those little buggers up the stairs. And on our on our uh, state radio show, RNZ First Up, everyone loved it, between five and six, um, we actually had, we had the story of the rescue with the vet nurse who, who managed to carry them up and down the stairs. Picking up a miniature horse is actually, you've got to be David Leakey to do that like they're only little but they'll break your foot if they stand on it as well so now the uh the, the club where our um our horses are um got absolutely smashed by those floods coming through so um 
Yeah, but it moved the container a couple of hundred metres. Uh, all the pins got dealt to, so it's going to be going to take quite a few working bees. If anyone would like to come out to the Massey Ranui area and clean up some logs, you can have them if you like. <laughs> it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Uh, Nathan, you got a story of the week for us? Something that's happened to you or around you? Oh, yes, I have. I reckon you're going to love this one. So. Uh, in the USA, like they, they, they're putting high school American football games on TV, and the point is you try and play in those because that's going to help you get recruited by like LSU and Clemson and you know the big schools, USC, Notre Dame, etc. So the IMG Academy. Now remember they did tennis. Remember Smitty, our old radio life, we used to speak to Nick Volatieri every now and then, and that was his tennis yep. school. Well, what, what they've got now is the IMG Academy does basketball, they do football, they do soccer, they do other sports. And they've put together this mega team. So all the best high school players in America go to the IMG Academy and then IMG go out and play games against football teams and absolutely roll them, right? So ESPN is going to be playing one of their games and they say, right, so we've got the IMG Academy up against Bishop Sycamore of Ohio who are a top-ranked team, Okay. And everyone got a bit suspicious at the broadcast when first up, there's 54 players in an American football squad, but Bishop Sycamore show up with 26. Um, a lot of them are wearing mismatched shirts, and they've only got 14 helmets. So there's players running on and off the field swapping helmets. Turns out that um, Bishop Sycamore High School doesn't actually exist. I mean, sure, this team existed, and they were called Bishop Sycamore, but they don't exist. <laughs> the, um, the head coach has an active arrest warrant. Um, they played two games in three days. They've actually got another two-game schedule, but we're not quite sure if they're going to show up. Most of those players are actually junior college dropouts. They had players as old as 23 playing in this game, right? But the worst bit was is that the, the commentators knew something was up when Bishop Sycamore were losing 30-0 uh, at the uh, halfway through the second quarter. So luckily, uh, IMG called the dogs off, and um, they only won that game 54-0. So, but someone pretended they had a high school, took the broadcasting fee check, you know, for the uh, appearing on ESPN, and now they've fled. So no one quite knows where the Bishop Sycamore coach is anymore or the man that put them together, but <laughs> Bishop Sycamore High School, favourite story of the week. I loved it. <laughs> and here's a lesson. Here's a lesson as well um, for, uh, and just a, a, wee, a wee warning too for all you parents out there. If your kid comes home from school at some stage in the future and says, I've got a... I've got a scholarship to Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> Don't pack the bag too soon. 100%. <laughs> oh, God. Nathan, yeah. uh, Nathan, uh, Nathan Rory and, and James McConey, excellent as always. Thanks very much for being part of the panel here on SENZ this morning. It is 10.43. Uh, your text will be much appreciated at double eight double three. Phone calls uh, if you like at uh, 0800 150 811. Uh, and before 11 o'clock as well, of course, Louis Herman Watt and our friends at the TAB. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 3.30 this afternoon, uh, that's the time that we'll uh, hear about uh, this first uh, all-black team of this particular tour. Uh, of course, it's uh, slow 3, trophy locked in the cabinet already, but a very important test match over there in Perth. So 3.30, uh, morning team. Uh, this is from Law from Gisborne, uh, I think it is. Uh, Weber to start this weekend with TJ as reserve. Wouldn't mind seeing Christy get a, a run to at some stage. Uh, TJ will be used more in the Argentina and Springboks test because of his physicality around the ruck. Very similar 
to the skill set to what uh, Jimmy Cowan used to provide for the All Blacks. Uh, also, we've got a, a text here uh, questioning when we'll be on air on the radio in Waikato. Um, uh, that will be at 9.54am, uh, early October, we're led to believe, early October, so uh, around about a month away, uh, hopefully just getting some logistics sorted out there, a bit of technology, uh, and uh, in Waikato uh, in early October. Um, today is uh, day 10 in the Paralympics, and the schedule in cycling has uh, Sarah Ellington involved uh, around about 12.35. At the same time uh, on the athletics track, or on the side of the track, uh, Anna Grimaldi, uh, will be in the long jump, and Holly Robinson. Um, Holly Robinson is uh, one of the poster girls of the, the Paralympics, uh, and her event, of course, is the javelin. That's tonight, a uh, pretty late night for her, 10.28pm. Um, so that's the final. Uh, and in the swimming, Nikita Howarth uh, in the butterfly event uh, this afternoon. She has a heat around about 12.56. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, the final at 9.04. Uh, we've got um, Louis Herman Watt. Coming up very shortly, we'll uh, check in with the TAB to see what uh, they've got uh, lined, for up, uh, lined up for us as well. And don't forget, of course, tonight also uh, are the Black Caps against Bangladesh. It's uh, T20 number two. Uh, of course, hammered in the first one. Will New Zealand uh, make some changes? Uh, we'll wait and see. Can they fix it overnight? We'll wait and see. That's at 10 o'clock. But in the meantime here, it's 10.50am. CNZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, for most of the country, we're in level three. We apologise uh, to people in Auckland. I uh, feel sorry for you that uh, you can't um, get out and about as much as we can. But uh, what it does mean, Louis Herman, what, of course, is black type racing. Black type racing, it's spring. It's spring. Smithy, welcome to spring, my friend. Uh, the flowers are blooming behind your curtain there in the Hawke's Bay. Uh, your garden is its luscious and it's lovely, just like the racing. And although Opie Boss and Lee Thinnis, Andrew Calder, the likes, can't go south, that doesn't mean that the racing stops. We've got some fantastic racing this weekend. We've got the Foxbridge Plate, which just signifies the start of spring for me. Proper horses going around in a good race. And before we even get there, there's actually Harwater races today and some nice horses to watch. In race two, there's this horse Hoodlum. It's a colt. Uh, it's a colt for the Benna Wynyard stable, and it's into a dollar fifty now. But so that's too short to punt, obviously. But you want to watch it go around, see what it can offer. And then in race three, now this one's interesting. There is the American American Pharaoh colt Khufu, which was touted very, very highly by Tony Pike last season. They they tried to get it. Um, they tried to get it into the uh, what am I trying to say? The Caracamillion race, the two year old race. But they might have just pushed it too hard. It ended up dropping out the back and finished sixth in one of the two year old races. It could have been even been the race that Imperatrice won at Ellerslie, just off the top of my head. But that's in today, race three at Harwater. It's into a dollar eighty. It might not be a punting race, but you just watch this colt because it's got. They've got a huge opinion of it, and um, we don't have many Amer- American Pharaoh colts down here or any runners really. So it'll be interesting when. Interesting one to follow, Smithy. Uh, Louis, uh, the other thing you, you've got to look forward to now, and uh, this is a challenge indeed for you, um, you've got to uh, even more um, help out to Izzy for the next month. You must be looking forward to that. I, I'm, you know, you're going to dominate this show, I can tell. You and Izzy are going to have to make up for the absence of Bass. How are you going to do that? 
Wow. Well, uh, yeah, look, <laughs> gee, that's a good question. And in 30 seconds or less, I don't know what the answer is. Where is he's, look, here's the thing with Izzy. He is untapped. Izzy is like Khufu. He's like an American pharaoh cult. He's green, but he's got all of the talent in the world. He's got a big wily action. And just you just need to just give him a little one of those up around the ears and just watch him let down on the straight. <laughs> and he's going to kick them in. He, we won't worry about Baz. He's going to kick them in. He'll win by a few. Look, Izzy's going to be great. And I'm just going to be here just pulling the reins. <laughs> I look forward to it. I really do look forward to it. Monday morning, folks, 6 a.m. It's the Louis Herman Watt Israel Dag Show. Brendan McCullum, of course, on duty overseas at the IPL. Can't wait for that. Right, let's get across to Paul Mawati uh, at the TAB. Uh, busy weekend in terms of New Zealand racing, Paul, but lots of other action as well. Uh, NRL, um, in our American sport, the US Open. Uh, it's a smorgasbord, mate. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A little later in the hour, we're going to be talking to Sir Graham Lowe, uh, of course, on uh, everything uh, rugby league. Haven't heard him for a while, so I uh, love his thoughts. Uh, and uh, as I'm always very honest and upfront uh, about anything in that code. Um, meanwhile, we've got uh, a very learned gentleman in the harness code on the line, um, and the racing code in general, to be fair. But uh, harness in particular, we're going to focus on this morning with uh, Michael Guerin. Good morning to you, Mick. Uh, uh, harness racing tonight at Cambridge, Addington tonight, and then Addington again on Sunday. So whilst Auckland is missing out, uh, the rest of the country is able to get on with it. Yeah, isn't it good, Smithy? Um, good to have racing back. Big hi to you and, and all your listeners on SENZ this morning. Yeah, it was only a 15-day break from racing, but it felt a lot longer, Smithy. I think when people are in lockdown, it feels a lot longer, but the industry kicked back into gear yesterday in the cargo. What they're going to do, Harness Racing New Zealand, is while we're in any form of lockdown and things are a bit iffy around the country, they're going to base themselves at four tracks. In the cargo for the Southern Base, Addington, obviously, where they race with the big guns tonight, down in Christchurch, Cambridge, and then hopefully Auckland uh, at some stage, maybe in two or three weeks. But Addington's the big one, and that's the one where we see not only the return of some of the open-class horses, as you heard in our news break, in the Morris Holmes Vars, that's a race named after one of the legends of the game, but that's also a lead-up race to the New Zealand Cup, the IRT New Zealand Cup, on the second Tuesday of November. We get a bit of a treat tonight, the surprise return of Sunday Sun. Now, he's the best trotter in the country, and some people would say, he might be the best horse in the country, Smithy. He was totally dominant last season. This meeting was changed from last Friday to this Friday because of the alert levels, meaning he couldn't race last week. He wasn't at the meeting last week. So had they ran this last Friday, no Sunday sun. Uh, because they're running it tonight, it's a week further down the track, and they've decided his connections, yep, he's fit enough to have a race. Uh, he's a very... Very good horse. He borders on being a champion, and he'll be the one that everybody's running their multi-bets through tonight. He's very, very short, uh, and he deserves to be. He races in race eight at 7.43, and unless something goes wrong, he'll just be winning. Okay, well, that's great news. Uh, we'll write that one down from the start, from the get-go. Uh, uh, Michael, uh, we know uh, in the... Um, Thoroughbred side of things, uh, the 
the jockeys, uh, some of them are housebound uh, because of their zoning, Lee Thinnis, uh, Andrew Calder, uh, and o Opie Bosson, surprisingly to him. Actually, we found it early in the week, can't ride during the week. And I guess that applies to some of uh, your Auckland-based drivers, but of course you can still get the horses to, to Cambridge tonight. Yeah, and that was a real bone of contention. Um, Harness Racing New Zealand wanted to wait to see, after they got the protocols uh, from the Ministry of Primary Industries, MPI, on whether horses could travel out of a Level 4 area to a Level 3 area, because while horses have travelled into regional before Smithy, we've had COVID in the country, never at Level 4, because we've never tried to race at Level 4. So what they had to do was wait till Tuesday, and that means the horses who had going from South Auckland, people like Barry Purden and Tony Hurley, their horses have to go with a registered horse transporter. So you need to be someone who does that for a job, so therefore the protocols are in place by you. But the horse people can't go with them. It's very strict. They have to clean the gear and everything the horses need, sulkies and all that, then put them on the transporter with the horse. They need to go to the racetrack. They're unloaded and dealt with by someone in a level three area. Then that same gear, the sulky, everything that involves the gear on the horse has to be cleaned before it's sent back to the level four area. So they're taking it very, very seriously, even though there's a lot of evidence overseas that that COVID can't travel on other animals, dogs, horses, cats, that sort of stuff. So um, take it very seriously, it makes it very tricky, and therefore it means that some of the drivers who would be there tonight, like, for example, Ben Butcher, would be driving the entire team, usually for uh, Steve and Amanda Telfer, they have to go to different drivers. Most of them know each other pretty well. It's not a big hassle, Smithy, but it might be a little small point of difference for some of the horses racing at the Cambridge meeting tonight. At the South Island meeting uh, at Addington, uh, that's not going to be a problem. Uh, of course, um, you know, it's like uh, anything. You, when you look building towards bigger things, uh, you, you need your horses to get work. You need your horses to get race time, particularly your youngsters. You need to get them experienced, looking forward to, to bigger things that aren't too far away now. So there, I think there's a degree of urgency too, just like, um, just like uh, you know, uh, in the thoroughbred code to, to, to make sure you, you get um, that valuable preparation time. So you, you've, you've just got to make the effort, don't you? You do, and we're getting two months out from the New Zealand Cup, but there's also three-year-old races and other major races that, that matter. Two months is about enough. Most horses have about a two-month campaign or even six weeks maybe to get them right for the biggest races. So the lockdown we had over the 15 days hasn't probably affected the horses at all when it comes to their long-term campaigns. But another week or two or three weeks would be a real hassle. And some of the best horses are in Auckland and they may have to start their campaigns away from Alexandra Park and go to Cambridge or give up on pre-cup Auckland harness racing. I'm hoping it doesn't happen, of course, because I'm stuck here. And head to the South Island. And the other question too is, what does it mean for us all long-term in racing, Smithy? You've been to New Zealand Trotting Cup Day. A great day at New Zealand Trotting Cup Base, 24,000 people. It, it's an iconic New Zealand sporting event. Last year, they only had 12,000 people because of concerns around COVID. And, for example, erecting um, you know, stands and all the things you need to do, all the little things you need to do, marquees for a carnival. Do you want to be going to that expense if you're worried COVID might return? How we plan for our major racing carnivals around 
New Zealand now and how much resource these clubs are willing to put into them with the potential worries about COVID coming back again with the Delta strain is going to be really interesting. And then to talk about also horses going overseas. We're seeing a galloping trainers that are sending some of the best horses overseas because the money's so big. You can send the chosen one to the Melbourne Cup because it's $8 million. Aegon can go to um, you know, a race like the the, um, the Golden Eagle because it's $7.5 million. With the harness horses, the money's a lot less. And you say to yourself, do I want to go to the Inter-Dominions? Do I want to go to these races overseas if I have to go myself as the trainer driver? And if I go, I might be stuck there for months and have to at best go two weeks quarantine when I come back if I can get into a quarantine facility. So it's really turned the season on its head even once, hopefully, we're back down out of the alert levels because um, the doubt over some of these things maybe is quite big. And we know that with other sporting teams, it's even worse for the horses for obvious reasons that they can't travel by themselves. Folks, you can get involved in the harness industry if you like. You can live the dream just by getting hold of uh, New Zealand Harness Racing or visiting hrnz.co.nz. Um, and uh, they'll give you all the help that you need. It's, it's a great industry to get involved with, um, and uh, once you're just involved, you'll, you'll stay involved because the thrill of owning a winner or just being at the races when your horse is going around uh, is, is something really uh, very special indeed. Now, uh, Michael, at the moment, of course, we're going through uh, this little promotion here on the station, Pacing for Purpose, so every Thursday each show has uh, 50 bucks to place on a harness race. Uh, we this... Uh, we this week have been focused on Cambridge. Our horse is Chablis, race seven, number seven Chablis. Uh, if we win some money tonight, we would be giving it to the very worthy cause of women's refuge. Give us some hope, please, Michael. Give us some hope. Or if not, if you, you not to, give us you, another you, winner. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and do both. Uh, I'll, I think you get a really good chance. I think she's well placed. She's actually, Chablis won the race two starts ago in a, in a stronger field. So she's won two of her starts, where most of the horses she's racing tonight haven't won two starts, or haven't had two wins in their career, so yep, Chablis is an absolute chance tonight. $3.20 is fair money. Smithy, when I'm betting, I don't sort of think too much about whether horses are an actual chance of winning or not. What I think to myself is, am I getting a fair price? And at three twenty for Chablis, you're getting a fair price. If I was having a bet, uh, I would make it simple, it'd be a simple all-up bet, so a multi-bet uh, tonight at Addington. Race three at Addington. And we begin a little bit earlier tonight. It's a long program. They kick off at 4.23. Race three at Addington. It's a money maker. Is a two-year-old. Pretty nice horse. Has gate speed. It's a chance to go forward, lead, and win. So it's race three, number two. And then race eight is that big trot. Sunday Sun's only paying $1.20. You say, well, would you bother? Well, if you take the odds from one horse and then multi it into a dollar twenty chance, which I think is a certainty, you're getting 20% extra value in your money. So if you back a $5 chance, you're getting a $6 return because I think the second leg is an absolute good thing. So my bet, if I was having one, would be race three, number two at Addington, into race eight, number seven. And the big race of the night there, the Morris Holmes Vars, goes just after eight o'clock. So for those who are going to watch a bit of NRL or a bit of Paralympics tonight and settle in and enjoy those wonderful athletes. Um, the racing starts nice and early. The sort of crunch hour, the golden hour for the harness racing tonight. 
7.30 to 8.30 with Addington and Cambridge both in play. So uh, that's uh, Michael Guerin, folks. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Michael, for your input this morning. But, of course, uh, if you want to listen to Michael tomorrow morning, uh, he'll be on the mail run with Louis at 8 o'clock and then Trot's talk uh, around midday. So, uh, Michael Guerin, very much a big factor, particularly over the weekend here on SCNZ. Uh, speaking of big factors, big factor in rugby league in New Zealand over the years has been Sir Graham Lowe, of course. Uh, looking forward to talking to him very shortly here on SCNZ. It's uh, 11 14. Into the top to get that eighth, eighth position, and I just think that, that much of that happens from a, just a philosophy of that acceptance of being in that part of the of the table. You know, if they set their sights a lot higher, as most other clubs do over in Australia, to try and get in that first spot, um, I think it would help them more because the troubles, the troubles that that uh, or the difficulty and the pressure that they're under at this time of the year. It really comes from mistakes and things not being done right at the start of the year. Well, that comes down a lot to the coaching. What, what's been your impression of Nathan Brown in his first year? I think he's done pretty well, to tell the truth. He, he just seems uh, he just seems to me to be the sort of the, uh, of the coach who's not going to overcoach them. Um, you know, you can really tell that he hasn't been he hasn't been too happy with the. Um, the efforts or the response of some of the some of the players at time. I think, but I think that he naturally thought they were going to do X and they didn't. They did Y, and you know, you know, some of it's his responsibility because he's the coach. But to answer your question, Smithy, I think he did. I think he's done a pretty good job um, under under really, uh, you know, these circumstances, which are worse than any of the other clubs because this is a New Zealand club. That's actually based overseas. It's based in Australia at the moment, so that you know that brings along you know some 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 pretty difficult and unimaginable challenges, I suppose. We look at some of the individuals this year. Of course, uh, the big loss was losing Roger to Avasa Sheik to uh, rugby, and uh, they let him go early, which raised a few eyebrows. Uh, but one of the yeah. big um, one of the big comers, uh, of course, has been. Uh, this young kid, Reese Walsh, who, for his age, has accepted a lot of responsibility already. What have, what have you made of him, and what are the dangers about uh, Reese Walsh if, if they don't treat him the right way? Well, I, I think he he is a fantastic player, isn't he? I, I think there's few others there's few others that we've seen really um, that w- that have got just the natural talent that this kid's got, and the dangers, I suppose, that most talk about is—is is he being promoted too young, and, and you know, it's, it's, you know, you've got to learn your trade and all this sort of thing. And, and I go along with with a certain part of that, but there are players who come along with with, with any sport, you know, and they for, at, at, at a very young, immature age, they just seem to have the ability and the talent and, and the maturity to cope with what's in front of them and. I've seen nothing to suggest that this young Reese Walsh hasn't got all that. You know, he's 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 the sort of player that the way he plays the game, he's opening himself up to um, to get knocked around a little bit, and, and that's that's a little bit of a worry. But you don't want to you don't want I don't think you want to harness or overcoach it. You've just got to provide as many opportunities for his style of play as he can possibly get, and and try and shield him if you can. From the from the nitty grind that sometimes sometimes have to get into. Graham, if you look around Reese Walsh, I mean, you need hard work to do before you get flair. 
Have they got the, the hard workers? Have they got enough of the hard workers in terms of uh, their squad going forward? What kind of player do they need if they haven't? I think, you know, they, they've always had hard workers, but the, for me, um, the, the side smithy has, or the club has always seemed to be a little bit out of balance. And I think, they la- I think like in the back line, they lack genuine class. And as you know, genuine class in any sport at all it just stands out and it makes genuine class players can bring out the best and in, in other players that might be be seen upon as just sort of run-of-the-mill players. They need absolute genuine class players. I think they're lacking in the halves. They, they've got basically reserve-grade players playing in the halves. And they, they do it, you know, they, they do a good job sort of three out of five weeks and whatnot. But the class players, the class players you can say will win at least one or two games on their own. That's what this Reece Walsh can do. So next year, he will win at least a couple of games on his own. That's what those class... They've just got that razzle-dazzle magic about them that can put put them in a position that's going to do that for their team. And that is what... The, I just think that the, um, the the class is actually missing. And, he, and even in the forwards, you know, they've got a, they've got a, a forward pack there that it has got a lot of hard work in my view in it, Smithy, but it's out of balance. They're all the same. They they just they all play exactly the same sort of game. This young I think it's Josh Curran, I can't the name it's just looks in my mind. Josh Curran has only been in the team in recent times and he's a player he's a second rower that that has got something different about him. You know, he he's a um, bit of a late bloomer I suppose, but he's not the robotic type forward that Many of them, not only in the Warriors but in the NRL in general, are, are starting to develop into because um, you know it's it's so everything. Every all clubs are so worried about the risk of you know dropping the ball, losing the ball, or spreading the ball at different spot, different parts of the field. So they're worried that that they might lose it, you know, and, and they're worried about this risk. Well, I, I've always been of the view, rightly or wrongly, that the biggest risk you can take. Uh, when you're playing sport, is not to take one, and um, mm. you know, you, you, otherwise you end up with robots. And, and I suppose, in a long-winded way, what I've, how I've answered your question, I, I really think they lack halves. Like Reese Walsh, if, if he had a couple of really good halves, half-back and five-eight, um, and I probably think that you know they need a really good strong strike centre. Um, they think, and, and you know, a forward that's just a little bit different. You know they they can they can be a really good effective side next year, but they definitely have to set their sights high. You know, this scrambling around trying to get an eighth spot at the end of the year, I think, is a, is a joke. Okay, well, you talk about natural ability, you talk about spark, you talk about match winners and a point of difference. Sean Johnson returns to the club now. No one had a bigger rep uh, when he began his career and he developed those early years. Uh, then, of course, uh, things happened. Uh, he went away, uh, ended up uh, over in playing in Sydney clubs or whatever, uh, and now he gets another go. Uh, is that a good, in your opinion, is that a good move? Can can we see the old Sean Johnson back in the Warriors? I, I, think, I think you will see an old Sean Johnson. You, you won't see the young one. But, um, you know, I, 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 I've got just the highest admiration for Sean. I, I think he's got that point of difference. He's got natural talent. He's got flair about him, and I felt, I felt really, really sorry with one when they let him go, 
Um, two, how much blame they put on him for the, how the Warriors were performing. And three, the lack of the, the way the way the club dismissed him, I thought was weak and a disgrace. And what really what really upset me at the time, um, Smithy, was none of his teammates stood stood up for him. Like he got, as you know, he got absolutely knocked from pillar to post in the media here because they blamed him for everything. And I was expecting at least one of the players to say, hey, hang on, there's a few other blokes out there that should have been holding their hand up. And he, I just think they got, he got used as a scapegoat. And I find it quite strange that they're now bringing him back. But it shows... I, I, Sean has always seemed to me to be the type of player that hasn't worried about um, you know, all, all, the, all the white noise that goes on around him. And, and I think his experience will be fantastic. If he can keep on the field and, and remain as injury-free as possible, he will be a good asset for them. But, but it's a big ask to expect him to go right through the season and be, be able to stay on the field week in, week out because he's got a number of injuries now that are pretty chronic and, and um, can be hard to avoid. Well, Lowy, we know the Warriors won't be there, but we do know... Um, <coughs> Basically, we know the eight now, or very close to it, but uh, there's been two sides. It's been a two-horse race, well, for the most part, with the Panthers and the Storm. The Storm franchise is, is quite incredible, but can you see, uh, can you see uh, the Sea Eagles? Can you see Manly coming uh, from outside the top two? I mean, they've been playing some pretty good league of late. They, they have, Smithy. I think, um, you know, some might say that, I, that I'm biased, and I, I probably am to a little bit, but just that... I think the brand of the brand of uh, it's a, it's a very similar in rugby union, mate. You see it, or or in any sport, sides play their own unique brands of of, of game, don't they? And and um, the Melbourne Storm play their style, the Panthers play their style, but the the uh, the, the Eagles have got a got their own unique style of playing the game, and they're all also blessed with those uh, Travoyevich uh, twins or, or brothers. Um, who are really, really good players, I mean, particularly Tom there, the fullback. Um, so I, I can see Manly being a little bit of a threat coming through, but you have to take your hat off to the Melbourne Storm, not only with the players, but the club itself, how it's, how it's, it's, it's um, the, the structure of the club, the, the ethic of the club, um, the values of the club, I think, are pretty, pretty special, and they've endured a lot over the years. But Ivan Cleary has done an outstanding job with the Penrith Panthers, and and um, I just watching them play though, I think heck, you know, are they just about out of out of fuel? They they just look like they're not quite, you know, not quite um, firing. But um, but who knows? And then you've got you know the Rabbitohs. Well, um, Wayne Bennett, you know, uh, Wayne, Wayne's a, a a good and a smart guy, Wayne. Just a little bit of a whisper in the players' ears, and he can get them to. He can get an average guy to turn into Superman, and he's done that years and years out. So, it's pretty open at the moment. You'd have to you'd have to be a pretty confident, brave guy to say a particular team is going to win it because you, I don't think you can pick it from here. Lowy, can we we'll just leave the NRL uh, just for a second because uh, you're a passionate um, Kiwis man as well, uh, and it just seems. Uh, with COVID and that, and it, it just becomes harder and harder to fit international uh, rugby league into the program. We've seen that at the end of this year, of course, the World uh, World Cup has, has been knocked on the head because New Zealand, Australia didn't want to get involved and commit their players to it. Um, so 
what does the international game need? I, I mean, apart from exposure, do, does it need a lift from somewhere else? I don't, you know, it's a, it's a funny model, the international game of rugby league, isn't it? You know, the, the, um, it's it's really, while we like to say it's an international game, in all honesty, it's not an international game. It's only, there's a half a dozen, you know, countries that might be pretty strong, but, um, and they, um, you, you know, there's, that's really what it's got. What What rugby league has got is an exceptionally strong club competition with the NRL, but also, up in Super League as well. They're very strong competitions and, and the value but in particular that the NRL um, put forward is really more valuable than, than in many ways what maybe the international game is. So I, I'm not sure what, quite what the answer is because the problem is you're starting to see now a little bit of the tail um, wagging the dog because um, the power of the of the clubs within the NRL can influence the players not to play for the for their countries, and I think we're just starting to see a little bit of that now. Um, player agents are playing a big role in, in the decisions of of the futures of players and and also of clubs now. And, and I, it's you know I think it's probably the same in in rugby union and in all sport itself. You know the the player managers are having a a pretty big say in what's what's going on. So internationally, I fear for the game of rugby league because um, you know COVID is not going away, and, and the, the the brain. I I think to revolutionise the international game of rugby league, they need someone like Peter Valandis, who's done probably the best job of any sporting administration straighter on the planet with what he's how he's managed to keep. The NRL week in week out playing has just been quite remarkable. Really, his negotiation skills at at all levels with all like broadcasters and 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 government are quite remarkable. Really, so it's going to take somebody like that to, uh, I think, kick the international game off again. Lowy, always great talking to you. Um, thanks uh, so much uh, for coming on the show this morning and. Hey, uh, look after yourself. We look forward to you and Costo on Sunday afternoon uh, prior to that Warriors kickoff, mate. Always a pleasure. Always I'm, a pleasure. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, Smithy. And isn't it good that Costo's back doing the calling the games, mate? He's, he's a fantastic, passionate uh, caller of the game, like like few others really that do it. He's, he's yeah. he really enjoys it. But but for me personally, Smithy, just I, I I really I've always really enjoyed your company. I admire you and listen to you and respect everything you have to say. Uh, and it's just so fantastic to have a chat to you, mate. At this time of our life. Good on you, Lowy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, mate. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, what a great man. Absolute great man. I've got um, one of the most revealing stories um, in my time in broadcasting about Graham Lowe, which I'll share with uh, you good people at some stage, uh, honestly. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, look, stump smithy time. Your last chance this week to grab 50 bucks worth of, of vouchers courtesy of the TAB and courtesy of us here in the morning show. So please, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811. Um, calls are already starting to come in, so uh, please get in uh, and uh, you'll have 50 bucks to spend over the weekend. Just uh, reiterating what's left in the NRL uh, this weekend, of course, the Roosters 40-16 to 16 over the Raiders last night. Uh, tonight, it's the Sharks and the Storm. That's a huge game for the Sharks. Um, and then the Eels and the Panthers. Then tomorrow, 
the Broncos, who uh, I've got in my multi to upset the Knights. That's tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Uh, the Cowboys with uh, Sir Graham Lowe and John Dunn Sea Eagle, uh, John, John Day's Sea Eagles, I should say, um, tomorrow at 7.30. We've got the Rabbitohs and the Dragons at 9.35, the Titans and the Warriors, uh, and that's on Sunday. And then the, to finish off, all around Robin play, before we get to the finals, it's the West Tigers and the Bulldogs in a game that mean, means absolutely, absolutely nothing that game, but uh, I'll probably enjoy it without the pressure. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. A little bit later than usual, but how good is Sir Graham Lowe? Just, uh, he just knows so much about rugby league. He's been at the forefront of the game for so long, Smithy. A great chat with Sir Graham and can't wait to hear him on the airwaves on Sunday with Costo and another guy who we love here on Mornings with Ian Smith is Reed from Gore. G'day, Reed. How we going, team? Mate, how quickly do you call the station? Do you just have us on auto-dial, or are you listening all the time? What's the story? Oh, mate, I'm a farmer, so I've always got to go in my pocket or if I'm in the tractor or the ute, she's always going, and favourite time of the day is Stumps and Smitty. Excellent. Well, we know that because you call every day, and this time you are very lucky to be at the front of the queue. So three sports. Your sports today are rugby union, rugby league, and tennis. What are you going to go for? I'll go Union again, uh, please, John. Yep, any time, mate. Let's go. All right, first question. The first season of Super Rugby was in 1996 called the Super 12. A South African winger was the top try scorer in the competition that year. Who was it? Was it Brian Habana? In 1996. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, 25 years ago, oh. well before Brian Habana, Smithy, who have you got? Right, now, I think I can see this guy. Um, I think he played for the Sharks. I think he was a tall guy with dark hair, um, but his, n- his name might elude me. And there was also, nah, uh, let me think. Oh, God, it's got me, it's got me. Um, was it was it, or was it or was it Chester? Um, oh, I don't know. I'll go. No, it wasn't Chester Williams. Um, oh, no. I, I'll say it. I'll say a duplicy of some form. <laughs> some sort of duplicy, isn't it? He's got him. Is that caught? No, James Small. James Small. Oh, R.I.P. James Small. Thirteen tries that mm. year for the Natal Sharks. So you had the right team, Smithy. I think you were heading towards Stefan to Blanche or something, were you? Yeah, I know. There was a big, tall uh, winger with, um, with dark hair. His name eludes me at the moment. He was quite prolific as well. He was the intercept king. He was the king of poaching. Got a lot of intercept tries. But anyway, moving along. All right, so you're lucky there, Reid. You're still alive. Question number two. Yeah. Samoa, everyone's second favourite team when it comes to the Rugby World Cup. How many times have they reached the quarterfinals? Oh. I'm going to take a real stab in the dark. I'll just say one. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. That is not correct. A chance for a stumping here, Smithy? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say quite clearly uh, two. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. 
Unlucky Reed won't be getting the money today. Well Twice, Manu Samoa, 1991 and 1995 made the quarterfinal. So on to our second contestant, another favourite of the show, Zaid. G'day, Zaid. G'day. How's it going? Good, mate. Good. I think you were our very first caller about seven weeks ago. So good to have you back on the show. Uh, one question about rugby. Get it right, you win. Get it wrong. And I think Johnny from Monaco is waiting in the wings. So your question is... Sean Fitzpatrick captained the All Blacks 51 times, which was the record until Richie McCaw smashed it. How many times did Richie McCaw captain the All Blacks? Oh, captain the All Blacks. <clears throat> um, was it over 100? Yep, it's a good start. I'll go 120. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. So, Smithy, a chance for a stumping, but if you get it wrong, yeah. then Zay gets the cash. 50 bucks from the TAB. Look, I'm going to go the cricketer's unlucky number. One, one, one. There you go. He's got it. He's out caught. Not quite, Smithy. One, one, oh. Richie McCaw, 110 oh. times as captain, oh. one away from another stumping. So that means, Zade, you are the winner today. Hold on the line. There we go, Smithy. Stumble, Smithy, done for yeah. another day. Yeah, good luck, Zade, too, and uh, spend the money wisely. I hope you turn it into plenty. Um, uh, we're going to have uh, Staffy just before midday. Uh, we've got an opportunity, I think, for a couple of late texts. So, Yvonne, if you're listening, yeah, uh, we're aware of that, uh, Yvonne, and we're addressing those technical issues. Um, we, we went off there down there uh, in Invercargill, but um, <coughs> we'll be back, so uh, that's, that's fine. We're working on a, a number of frequencies around the country as well as we look to build our stable up. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're aware of it. So thanks very much for advising of, uh, as of that. It's 11.42 here on SENZ. Bought in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Hey, Smithy, I'm going to jump in here just briefly. Uh, just notice we've got about three or four minutes here to fill, and you did tease that Graham Lowe story from before when we had him on, so I think now would be the perfect time to tell a yarn about Sir Graham Lowe. Well, he's uh, such a character. Uh, yeah, okay, well, so back in 1992, that's how long ago this goes back, uh, Graham Lowe was, uh, wasn't well. Uh, I, I don't know if you recall, but he had, um, uh, he had uh, some terrible issues and, and, you know, he was gravely ill at one point and people sort of thought that uh, he might not be around a lot longer and, and were very worried about him. So uh, in 1992, I was asked by tel- Television New Zealand to host the Halberg Awards. Uh, and I hosted them in uh, the town hall in, in Auckland, and uh, it was live on television New Zealand. So they decided that they would give a tribute to Graham Lowe, um, but because it was live and it was uh, confined, very confined show, it was uh, defined by advertisements and the news coming up and all that sort of thing. There was timelines that you had to adhere to, uh, and so they said to me, uh, "You have got to uh, get uh, Graham Lowe on and off the stage." and you've got a minute, a minute to pay tribute to Graham Lowe, and you've got a minute. And I thought, really? Really? After all this man, this great man has done, uh, you want him on and off the stage? And I don't think, you know, you, you've got to bear in mind there's a big live audience as well as, as one at home. So you've got to, you, you've got to cater for both. Uh, and so I didn't think for one second that one minute was going to be enough for those people that were there, because when he came up on the stage, he got a rousing standing ovation, um, and... And I just basically asked them one question about, you know, like, you know, how, how does it feel? Um, and away he went, right? So 
Anyway, I could just see people starting to panic, and, and my earphones, the director, were starting to yell at me. Uh, we had a floor manager by the name of Jimmy Bigham, this little Scottish guy, who was running along the front of the stage, uh, out of the side of the camera, tapping me on the shoes and giving me the signal to cut it, cut it, cut it, wind it up, you want to wind it up, and all this sort of thing. Meanwhile, Graham Lowe, as you've just heard, uh, he's, wonderful at, he's a wonderful orator, and he's a great motivational man as well. And uh, he was talking, and these the people, of the, I could just see the audience were transfixed because they thought, you know, not only the hearing from this great man, it, it might might could well be the last time. And so you know, it was it was all this emotional stuff involved. Well, the end result was this, John. Uh, there was a stand-up fight at the TVNZ table almost between news and sport. Uh, and the, the CEO had to step in and say, look, uh, tonight it's sports night. The news will have to wait. We ran 27, moment, 27 minutes over time. 27 minutes over time, um, and that was because Graham Lowe gave us a magnificent speech that lasted, you know, a, a long time, and, and the people, another standing ovation, and everyone thought it was just so wonderfully worthwhile, uh, but everyone except the people that were running news at TVNZ, so I, I never got asked back, funnily enough. <laughs> I never got asked back, which is probably a good thing. But it was just, it was one of those things I always re- remember Graham Lowe for. Absolutely uh, sensational. Well, Smithy, I can, uh, Bob, you, you, I can feel I for those people, say, mate. I'm always in your ear saying, wrap it up, Smithy, wrap it up. So I do yeah, have a slight, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I can feel for those people at TVNZ. But to Graham Lowe, once he gets going, you don't want to stop the great man. Hell no. I mean, you know, you, you just don't. I mean, there, there was, um, it was a very memorable night. There was a lot of things happened uh, on that night. Um, and, you know, it was, but that, uh, that's one of my lasting memories of, of hosting that show uh, for the one and only time, which was cool. Uh, it, was, it was a good night, regardless of that. And we had a, a couple of bevies afterwards once it was all over. It was quite a nerve-wracking time. Uh, Barb has texted in and said, do you guys have the rights to the Black Caps games? Well, we don't at the moment. We, of course, at uh, SNZ are, are trying to grow our stable, as I said before, and we will be picking up those rights at some point. But tonight our cricket focus, Barb, is, of course, on England against India in the fourth Test match, uh, and that'll be coming to you live at uh, ten o'clock tonight. I think the commentary team still does include Jeremy Coney, Mark Stafford. Prior to midday, from behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Coming up to the news here at uh, midday, and then of course it's uh, Mark Stafford uh, between 12 and 4, and now Mark Stafford, you are the man who finally got his man, Frank Nobolo, how cool. Oh, it was wonderful, Smithy, I could have talked to him for a whole hour, but um, such is the nature of radio, I got a good probably half an hour with him, and um, we actually just had a look, look at the podcast downloads from Frank's chat yesterday, and it's probably four times the biggest downloaded that we've ever had on the show and he was just wonderful and his recollection his memory smithy was mm. wonderful you know he remembers a shot he played a, you know I played a bad six iron into the bunker short right 25 years ago they just his recall was wonderful Steffi uh, look he, yeah hell of a guy and making a real name for himself in commentary and I'll tell you what that is a very competitive area to work in golf commentary in America so to be an integral part of the Golf Channel's coverage, and then of course he works alongside Faldo, he works alongside Baker Finch, uh, all those other guys. So with such big names, he has to be very, very highly respected in America. Oh, incredibly so. And I, and I sort of stress the fact that if you lead 
um, the world in any field, whether it's sport, whether it's business and in broadcasting. And he, he's one of the leaders in the world in sports broadcasting on one of the biggest watched sports in the world. And he's one of the anchor guys. And he's, he hasn't lost his kiwiness, you know. He's, he's quite laconic. He's pretty relaxed, but a wonderful analyst and, and just really good at delivering a message, I feel. So uh, speaking of wonderful, tell us about uh, this afternoon's messages you hope to get. Yeah, the messages, or any messages, are welcome, Smithy. As you know, on the show, we, we rely on our listeners' interaction. Uh, Guests-wise, today, um, a mixed bag today, former Wallaby coach John Knuckles Connolly is coming up after oh. the news. So he'll come out swinging. That'll be interesting. Uh, looking forward to catching up with him. Brett Phillips, as we do on a daily basis, US Open. Uh, Jeremy Paul, a Friday institution now, and we've settled into a bit of a where are they now type story uh, stories with Jeremy Paul so people are texting and saying whatever happened to and last week he did Owen Finnegan and Justin Harrison which was wonderful hearing stories about them uh, Katie Brown uh, who does Afternoons in Australia the equivalent show and we've got a couple of 2B confirms but we're reasonably confident we're going to get Reuben Thorne out of uh, Canterbury former All Black captain as well and fingers crossed Smithy we're getting Sophie Pascoe on the show as well. We're just waiting on a time. Oh, well, you are the lucky one. You are the lucky one, but the SENZ listeners will be the lucky ones too if you're able to pull that off. That would be something special to end the week. Uh, speaking of ending the week, I'm about to do that for the morning show. It's been great. Pretty outstanding as always. Brian on panel uh, with all the calls and texts, uh, Manning, managing those, and JD working so hard behind the scenes. Very, very appreciative. Uh, and to you people for listening as well, have a great and safe weekend, and we'll be back Monday morning at night. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.